Welcome to the VN Times podcast. In this episode, we are taking you back to Happy Hour 4.0, The Magic of Wellbeing, which took place on 25th March. Planet RVN founder Jane Davidson joined us in our main interview slot and was joined on our panel discussion by Adam Robinson, Aoife Smith, Ellie Payne and Zara Livingstone to discuss the challenges of physical and mental well-being within the profession with some top tips on how to take care of yourself and each other. So let's quickly introduce the panel. Jane is a London-based vet nurse who writes to educate and support vets, vet nurses and pet owners. She's the most popular vlogger in her industry and runs the award-winning community Planet RVN. Sharing stories is a universal desire in us all, and Jane uses blogs, vlogs and more to promote vet nursing, animal welfare and share the stories of those who need it. Okay, and we have Adam, who worked in practice as a trainee vet nurse from 2011 to 2016, before becoming a personal trainer in 2019. Adam is also an NLP practitioner and has a passion for body weight exercise and home workouts. He is also hugely passionate about creating a stronger mindset to achieve success, not only in training, but in all aspects of life. And Efi has a BSc in veterinary nursing and a BA in psychology and has become a very passionate, motivated and empathetic addition to the realm of veterinary mental health. She strives towards helping veterinary professionals to realise just how amazing they are and how valuable their mental health is. Ellie Payne qualified as an RVN in 2018. She has worked in first opinion practice, hospitals, and now in referral practice. Ellie's interests are neurology, exotics, and emergency and critical care. She also, she also has an online platform, The Positive Vet Nurse, which is all about promoting positivity and mental health awareness in the veterinary profession, which is also very close to her heart. And finally, we've got Zara. Zara qualified as a VN in 2009 at First Opinion Practice in Hampshire before moving on to referral work in ophthalmology. During her seven years there, she received her nurse certificates in anaesthesia and critical care. She then joined Lumbury Park Referrals as a member of the anaesthesia theatre team in 2015. While on maternity leave, Zara also gained two level two certificates in mental health. Uh, although mental health in the industry is improving, she's added there. So let's get this show on the road and give Jane Davidson a warm welcome to Happy Hour. Hi, Jane. Hi, James. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, we'll crack straight in with the questions. As I said, all these questions have been sent in by our uh, delegates tonight, and we had far more sent in than we could possibly answer or ask in an hour. So I'll get cracking. First question is, what steps would you recommend for RVNs struggling with mental well-being when support isn't followed through from management? Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for your questions, guys. It's been so lovely. And I've had a great time this week, actually, just thinking about actually if you have time to give people advice and think about it, what is best to do? Because sometimes people ask you for advice and you kind of do it, you know, on the, on the run. Um, I think, and I've been in this situation, I think, I think a lot of people have acknowledged that there is an issue because that takes the biggest hurdle out of the way. But then I find it really helpful to write down kind of what what is it that's bugging? What what is the problem? Is it you with your mental health problem is struggling at work? Are there things at work that are affecting your mental health? Because then you can start to see potentially a pattern or you can start to see 
where it is we'd be best to go for help because in the grand scheme of things, a lot of us work in clinics that are quite small. You know, there may not be a big HR team and practice principals don't always really know what it is that they should be doing. And I know I've had this discussion with a few friends where they kind of said, well, this happened, but you know, then my boss said, well, kind of what you want me to do about it? It's like, well, I've come to you for some answers, but I also completely appreciate you're not an expert in HR law or mental health awareness, but you know, to put the onus back on the person is I don't know what I want because if I did know what I wanted, I'd probably be able to sort it out myself. So I think acknowledge that there's something that's that's not right, that's impacting on your life. Sorry, that was Joey shaking his head there. Mm-hmm. Um, record kind of what's been happening, you know, when are your moods worse or, or what are the problems that you're experiencing? And then consider asking for help in somewhere where you think that you might receive it. Um, so I actually was, I've done, I've done notes on some uh, free, this is Royal Canon, no <laughs> advertisement there. Um, and I thought, you know what, then I put down, yeah, you can speak to your GP. GPs are actually quite good with this kind of stuff, but obviously it takes time to get an appointment and that's difficult. So there's a tech service called Shout. So it's um, just Shout in capital letters. If you Google it, you'll find the number and you can just get text support immediately there. And I, I'm going to say before I list all the things that I've written down here, most of these I've actually called in the last year for myself. Um, and I think that's really important to say that I know some people look at me and can go, oh, God, you're really successful and everything's really together. And it's like, no, I'm I'm no more together than the next person, honestly. Um, and so shout is good. I found it like I think the second or third time I contacted them, it was a bit. It's a bit like a bot, but sometimes it's actually it gets you to start writing something because they kind of like are how how can we help today? What's your problem? And sometimes just that the writing it down, you're kind of like, oh, that feels lighter once I've told someone else, and then they. You know, they they're big about suggesting nice self care things, so that's good. Um, Samaritans. To be quite honest, the Samaritans are really good and don't ever think, I know that they t- they say that they're kind of there for when you're suicidal, but actually I think a lot of us don't realise when we get that close um, or when you're really struggling and you just need an independent ear because the nice thing about the Samaritans is they're not there to provide you with counselling. They are a listening service and sometimes that is all that you need to begin with is just someone to listen. You don't need someone to judge and then tell you what you should be doing because a lot of the time, particularly with mental health problems, we know that we shouldn't feel depressed and we know that we shouldn't feel like that, but we can't help it. Um, And so that's really nice. Consider what friends and family you can reach out to. Um, It's always difficult, you know, necessarily asking for help, particularly around this time where you sort of think, oh, I don't want to burden anyone. But do speak to, you know, speak to someone, just choose one person. If you're a BVNA member, obviously they have a helpline and vet life is always there. It's there for everyone in the veterinary community. And I haven't spoken to vet life in the past year. I mean, lucky them. <laughs> they've been spared me. Um, but I have spoken to them before and they've been really helpful. And it's just now, of all the of all the times where I've contacted, do you know what? I've contacted these places maybe once or twice. I've worked through a problem and then it's just not seemed so big. So it's not even that by saying that I've contacted these people that I can then tell you. And then I went on a massive journey and 
lots happened. It was- just on that, Dan, just on yeah. that, because we've, we've, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. So I think what ties into that would be the next question, which I'm going to ask you now, which is what have been the times uh-huh. in your All career right. when you felt your well-being to be most challenged, either physically or mentally? Oh, yeah, that's a good and one. And what have those strategies been? Because I think that just rolls into what you've just been talking about. Well, yeah, the final thing on this page was <laughs> take time off work and take time for yourself. And that is 110% my problem. Uh, so I think that question was really good, actually, because I think it's good to to say the difference between physical and mental issues, but obviously the two are related. Definitely the worst time physically was 2015. Um, It was the year before I got given my second spinal surgery. I'd had to give up my job teaching clinical skills and I was just sitting at home on an awful lot of medication, feeling awful and didn't know if I'd ever have surgery. And pretty much the hospital was saying to me, "This this is as good as it will ever get. And I was like, okay. I'm tanked up to the eyeballs of medication uh, that still can't let me sleep through the night. So when I wake up at two in the morning in extreme pain, I have to take oral morphine to get back to sleep. Um, I can't work. I can't, you know, I can't leave the house. I can't do anything. And at that point, I honestly thought I'd never be back in the veterinary industry again because it's such a physical job mm-hmm. that I just thought this this is it. You know, this this is my life. And that's actually when I started my YouTube channel because I wanted to still support students with their oskies and I couldn't through my job. Um, and I started, lots of people always go, oh, do you monetize your YouTube? And I'm like, no, because actually my YouTube was started at a time where I felt awful. And the thanks that I get from people for it is that's all that I need. I don't need anything else from it. In fact, um, <laughs> a nurse at my vet clinic has had to bandage Joey's legs this week because he's ripped his stopper pads. And um, she's, she's, passed her Oscars last year and is now qualified and said, oh, thanks so much for your, you know, for your videos. And that was lovely. And then she came out with Joey's bandages and she went, it's terrifying bandaging for you. <laughs> so it's like, oh God, that's awful. Extra, 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 extra pressure. Uh, yeah, no extra pressure. But, but no, just pressure. keeping it moving on. And the next yeah, question yeah. we had was... Oh, well, I was just going to say mental yeah. health, yeah, was probably 2020 last year. And I did all the things that I said before. You know, I reached out to people. And the one thing you need to know about me is I am the worst person at asking for help. So if I've done it, you can do it. So do, do you have, you must have some suggestions on how people can handle their anxiety before work shift. Yeah. Do you know what? Anxiety is, I think anxiety is really difficult and I'm really glad that it's now acknowledged something sort of separate to depression or or anything else. Because I think anxiety does like to, I think particularly when you're quite a high performing person, like we usually are in the vet industry, anxiety blimmin' loves you. Um, I would definitely try to distance yourself from your anxiety in that your anxiety is not you. It is something that happens and it escalates how you feel about things. So try and think about that. Your anxiety is a little part of you, but it takes up too much space. Um, and I had CBT about five years ago. It was part of um, actually my pain therapy, but CBT for anxiety is really good and you can get it on the NHS. They usually do 10 sessions and it's really good at training your brain not to go down those mad anxious pathways because that's ultimately what happens with anxiety is you start down a pathway of well if this happens and that happens then I won't be able to cope and then this is and all of a sudden you're talking about a scenario that might never actually happen Mm -hmm. but you're you're anxious about it already and you're not able to sleep or you're you know you're stressed before your shift so I definitely think getting some sort of help for that is good because the more if you think of your brain like a bit of a forest 
and the bits that you want to find of information or feelings you have to go to more regularly, you start building pathways. And if your pathways are always going towards anxiety, then it's very hard to change that. And you need to kind of do that to let that kind of forest grow back up to go, we don't go down that anxiety road. We can cope with what's going on. Um, and definitely, I would, I would definitely say get help for that. And CBT is fantastic for it. Mm. Kind of, that was life-changing for me back then. Great, great answer. Um, next question is, when you diversify out of practice, how would you recommend dealing with the conflict of not feeling like a nurse? It's a weird one, isn't it? And I still have conflict with this myself sometimes um, because I always think your skills will crop up everywhere. Your ability to cope with you know, people in stress situations or problem solve, those skills remain and are really useful wherever you go. So you know, take that with you wherever you go. And being an RVN is part of your journey. I know with the the way that it feels when you're studying, it feels like becoming the RVN is the destination. And actually, it's not. It's one stop in your journey, which included, you know, getting on the SVN train, then getting off, getting on the RVN train and considering, oh yeah, calm bedtime app. Yeah, love calm. Um <laughs> And so it's it's part of it. And what you do once you qualify is entirely up to you. You know, we've got a group of people here tonight in a panel and, and all of you in the audience just doing massively great, different, amazing things. Um, so I feel like that I've certainly tried to keep connecting with trying to do some volunteer work. I do do still the odd day in clinic uh, when my back allows Um if anybody just wants me to come and do anesthesia and sit down all day, then I'm very happy. Mm -hmm. I'll say that now. And um, as of this week, I've actually just been confirmed as a COVID vaccinator for the NHS. Congratulations. Um, so I'm hoping that I'll not need to take a muzzle uh, or, you know, wrap anyone in a towel. But even that, although I had to go through the non-vaccinated route, if you're, a, if you're a chiropractor and you've never given an injection, you don't have to do as much training as me. Never mind. Uh, but I've done that. And that just feels like I have the skills. I have the capability that if someone feels sick or a bit faint, then I, I can do that. And so it is about, yeah, you know, if you if you diversify away from clinic, you're no less of an RVN. And I mean, the RCVS support that you do the CPD that's relevant for your job. And I'm really grateful to that because I log eight million tons of CPD with my PhD. But that's that's my job. Fantastic. And have you, Jane, ever doubted your decision to become a vet nurse? And if so, how did you overcome that? I don't know if I ever doubted my decision to become a vet nurse. I certainly doubted the, the roles that I've been in and thought, right, what do I do? So I've always, I think you'll probably find, see, realise I'm quite a linear person. I've sat down and thought, right, so look at the options within the role I'm in. Is there anything that I you know, could diversify into from this current role. Um, what are the alternatives to doing this job? Because sometimes that's really sobering when you go, hmm, this is actually quite good. I'll stick it out for a little bit longer and, you know, get something out of it. Um, and I think, again, another list of it's very difficult sometimes at work. You can get really clouded. You spend the majority of your waking time there. It can be very emotional, very stressful. And so it's sometimes good just to list, like, what do I like about this? What do I not like? What would I want? And I try to not say want too much, uh, but also what in my in an ideal world would I like to do? And is it that it's the hours that I don't like? Is it the actual job that I'm doing? Is it the team that I'm in? 
because for all the issues in the vet world, we have a huge variety of places and teams and jobs that you can go and do. And it's up to you really what you want to do with it. And also our needs change over time. You know, what might have been your ideal job five years ago, five years on is maybe not your ideal job. And that's not necessarily that you don't want to be an RVN. It's this role is no longer right for me. So definitely. And I am like, I'm the worst person for having itchy feet and moving around. Anyone that knows me will know that because they're always like, oh my God, are you moving job again? I'm like, yeah. Well, um, on, on that then, Jane, so you do <laughs> you do lots and lots and lots of things. As we mentioned in your biography, that could have been about four times longer. We had to cut for time. But uh, um, what would you say are the aspects of your work that you enjoy the most? What, with doing my PhD at the moment? Well, doing anything, the whole, you know, I mean, this is about the magic of veterinary nursing. So right. that's the one well, thing do you know that what? I wrote, for you. I wrote my list and the first two things I put on the top were I miss anaesthesia and patient care and I miss being in a clinical team. Um, so you can get an idea of what I absolutely enjoyed about being in clinical practice. And I still miss that. Um, but I do love engaging with people and I do love having problems and solving them. And that's exactly what I do all day is that I sit and I have, you know, I need to find information. It's in an archive or it's here, there and everywhere. And then I need to bring it all together and I need to produce something to tell other people about this journey that I've been on through these archives. And so that is, yeah, I love that. And seeing people succeed, like somebody thanking me for for my videos is just the nicest thing ever. Um, and people come up and do that. I mean, I'm missing it at conferences because that's always just a really lovely thing. When people come by and go, usually they come by and go, are you Jane RVN? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Um, and in fact, I won't reveal her name, but at VetFest a couple of years ago, someone actually cried on site at seeing me. And that was with happiness, may I add. Um, oh, you, didn't, you didn't tread on a foot then? Didn't tread on a foot. Didn't like, yeah, didn't do anything awful. But that's amazing to feel that my videos that I made when I was feeling at my worst have had such a positive effect yeah. it's just that i love it it's brilliant we, we've got time for one quick question um this is a specific one i'll be starting my degree dissertation in the autumn i have your book already any other tips <laughs> well thank you for buying my book thank you to everyone that's done um i was thinking about this so briefly Find your learning team for your dissertation because it might be different than what you do for an exam and it'll be different to the people you socialise with. So don't be afraid to have people that are your library buddies and your journal sharing buddies and make that team. Think of your writing sandwich. Lots of people think that uh, your bread is really thin on either side and that your writing's the big bit. And actually, if you do your research properly, you'll have started the writing process. The writing process becomes small and then the editing and referencing. So make sure that editing and referencing that you leave more than enough time for that. Um, choose your research question well. Um, have a look around at what's out there because sometimes you can choose a research question and then find there's nothing really either interesting to write about or that you would want to do or you would have difficulty getting access to creating primary research. Um, get some advice from your university um, or from colleagues. Read previous dissertations, uh, good ones. Well, actually, I always read a mediocre and a bad one because it makes you feel much better. My PhD writing improved when I read a bad PhD thesis. Um, and read journal articles because that's the sort of style that they're looking for you to write in. So that's easy. And if you find a journal that you like, 
there's no harm in mimicking the way that they present their work because that's then a good academic standard. It's been peer reviewed. Um, and, you know, you'll sail through it. You've got my book. I've been told it's life changing by some how can, people. How can that not be the case? Well, exactly. um, and good luck to whoever sent that in. Good luck yes. to you. Good, good luck with your degree. Um, but thanks ever so much for that, Jane. That was brilliant. I know you're going to be joining our panel in a few seconds and i'd add again all these questions have been sent in by you guys uh that's members of our happy hour community and uh we just think it's promises to be an absolutely great discussion so um let's get involved over to you rachel with the first question okay so hi guys again on the panel hello uh first question is for you zara um so when should you help if you see the signs before the person has acknowledged the problem so I'm going that obviously well-being, they're struggling. Yep. So um, basically, um, I would approach this situation very, very sensitively because there's a lot of stigma around mental health. Um, some people think it's craziness and some people won't, don't want other people knowing that they've got mental health issues. Um, you want to be able to understand it. So mental health is a physical is like a physical illness. So it's nothing to be ashamed about. Um, my view is you just got to be there with some, be there for someone, understand if they want help. If they want help, then you can help them to find that the correct help for them. If they don't want help, then you've got to respect their view. Um, the, and also to keep everything privately because not everyone wants everyone knowing the business. Um, the only time that you really need to check share um, the information if someone's suffering with a mental health issue is if they're at harm for themselves or for others. Um, some he a lot of practices now have got mental health first aiders, which is great. It's becoming more and more popular. Um, so if you're, if you're the person that they've approached, which in my career in the past, I've had a few people approach me about the situation. If I can't help them, then I try and research places for them to receive help. Um, doctors aren't always about tablets. Um, so I would also recommend approaching your doctor. They can then divert you to the correct areas, but also great. We've got all these websites. So we've got like Mind, iTalk, as we've previously said, Samaritans, VetLife, um, Sadly, back in the industry, there is a lot of um, mental health issues. And I don't think because we're always busy, we don't want to show our weaknesses. Mm. That's, that's, that's all I can give. Yeah, that's a, that's a, well, that's, that's a great answer. And this for you, Ify. Um I yeah. find it interesting that you have both a vet nursing and a psychology degree. How did this come about? Um, so I went into vet nursing when I was really young at first. I was only 17 and I went in in 2010 and I finished in 2014. So while I had a great time, I just felt like I was super young and I kind of wanted to take on other adventures. Um, and I was living in Australia from 2017 to 2018. And psychology was always in the back pocket in there somewhere. So I, I realized then when I was coming home that I really wanted to dive in and become a psychologist. Um, and so then I went full circle and I actually married the two. So I have a thesis done in um, compassion, fatigue, stress and self-care practices in the Irish veterinary industry. And um, so I wrote that paper last year and um, it's published. Actually, I can link it in the chat if you want. If you could, if you, if you could. Yeah, of course. And um, because you guys are pretty good for your research in the UK, but um, Ireland is so far behind. And um, 
yeah, it's it's kind of just me <laughs> at the moment. So I'd like to build an army if I can. A revolution, if you will. <laughs> Excellent. And Rachel? I love that. Um, Adam, this one's for you. Uh, do you have any advice for someone looking to lose weight and feel fitter? Um, apart from being on my feet at work, I'm not overly active. Where do I start? Okay, so uh, the, the weight loss thing. I mean, I could talk about this all night, <laughs> but I won't. So with weight loss, the, the first and foremost is getting your steps in in the day. That's that's the easiest thing you can do. Um, but the thing that's going to help you the most is your nutrition. So obviously getting exercise in is going to really help you, but you can actually just lose weight with just a good diet, believe it or not. I mean, you're obviously going to have to move still, but a good diet is is like crucial for losing weight and getting in the, the best figure that you want to be. So first of all, I would look at your fruit and veg. That is your most important thing. So plenty and plenty of fruit and veg. Um, there's this big thing about sugars with fruit as well. I wouldn't worry about that too much unless you're making, you know, big smoothies every day full of berries and, you know, apples and all sorts. Um, I wouldn't worry too much because it com- the, the difference is it comes with fiber. So the sugar is essentially broken down slower. So it's not like you're, you know, cramming chocolate and cakes down your mouth. It's basically going to be um, supporting your body a little bit more rather than hindering it. Um, so diet is the, the biggest one. I would look at your um, habits as well. Sometimes we have these these habits where we may have, you know, tea and biscuits at night, or we might get up in the morning and have two pieces of toast and I don't know, like a chocolate and nut bar or something. Um, these habits you don't even realise you've got them. So the the best thing you can do there is look at look at the habits and think: Do I actually need this food? Am I hungry, or is it just a habit? Or am I bored? Am I eating because I'm bored? Really good thing for weight loss is to see these habits and try and change them around as well. Um, and lastly, water is probably the biggest one that gets missed out a lot of the time. We focus a lot on food, which is which is you know which we should do, um, and exercise, which is again very um, you know very very important for weight loss. Water is one of the biggest ones because if you can keep yourself hydrated and keep you know swigging throughout the day you want about two to two and a half liters a day um then you're you're going to feel fuller as well so you're essentially not going to be as hungry throughout the day so that will help to stop the snacking throughout the day and stuff as well hopefully anyway um but yeah my top tips there for weight loss you know focus on water intake look at your habits and yeah try and get as much fruit and veg as possible and then just you know, complimentary training along the way as well. Jogging and running, perfect for weight loss. That's all you need to do. You don't need to do these crazy, you know, strength training workouts, although it will help, okay? You, you jogging and running and walking, just do them. Absolutely fine. You don't need to go crazy with it. Great stuff. And as you start with water, I'll have a swig now. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's me. Um, and sorry for Ellie, um, question for you. I love your positive vet nurse Instagram page. Why did you decide to set this up? Hi. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, so I was going through particularly a rough time in my life when I made that page. Um, and I just thought about how a lot of people in the veterinary profession are feeling the same. Um, 
So I thought if you can be transparent in how you feel, then people really appreciate that. And it's gone to show with the amount of messages I get off people saying, you know, I really needed this post today. You know, thank you for this. And I get some really lovely messages from people to say how much my words have helped them. So if you're going through a bad time, it can help someone else in feeling that they're not alone. So it's my own little safe space on that page where I kind of let everyone come and if they want to comment on things um, and kind of vent how they feel, it's really nice to see like a little community on there of people getting together and doing that. So yeah, that's why I've why I've done it and how it's developed really. And you obviously get some really amazing stuff on there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Rachel? Thank you. Uh, so Zara... Was there a particular reason for deciding to, to uh, sorry, for deciding to study mental health? Um, so my main focus, my partner works in mental health. So that's one part of my interest. Um, the other part was about 18 months ago, I had my son. Um, I went through a traumatic labour and then it took me six months to actually admit that I was suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder and postnatal depression on top of it. Um, which has now left me with depression. Um, I'm not ashamed to announce that I've got depression. It doesn't, what's the word? It doesn't, um, it's not how I am. I'm Zara. I'm not the person that's got depression. I can still do my job perfect. And I still, as long as I'm control it, I'm absolutely fine. And the reason why I wanted to study it was one for my own interest, because I was interested in, finding out more about my conditions. Um, two, I wanted to know how to help other people if needed. And also three, that I actually learned a lot because the fact is I thought certain conditions was certain, um, uh, they went for like certain treatments and stuff. And I actually realized that not every person deals with different situations in the same ways so I could have depression in I could show signs of depression in one way but someone else might show depression in another way um so that was why I done it and lucky enough I was on maternity leave so I was able to do it um and now I just I've used it to write um papers for the vet nurse journal so I've done one last year which was stress within the workplace and I've got another one coming out in the Vet Nurse Journal, I think in May, which is depression hidden behind the smile. The reason why I've done them was because if it can help someone realise that they've actually got the condition, two, how to go about and getting help, and also three, to get others to learn about the conditions and help to help others. Because I think mental health, people are scared to talk about it. And lucky enough, we're getting better at it. Good answer. Good answer. Um, we're getting quite tight for time, so we'll keep this one quite tight, Jane. But um, how do you put yourself first when you feel it's on you to hold others up? That is really difficult. And I think I know there are kind of Facebook memes of who oh, you can't pour from an empty cup and all these kind of things. But I like the phrase, if you don't make time for your wellness, you're going to make time for your illness, because I have certainly made a lot of time for illness in my life. And while that's been a journey for me, I was also lucky enough to be able to afford to not work for a little bit. And that's not possible for everyone. And 
So just making time for you. And it's the thing is, when you first start making time for you, you think other people will judge you for being selfish. They absolutely won't because they've no idea that you're making time for you because you don't have to broadcast it. But you can just make sure I will leave work on time or I won't turn up half an hour early. I will definitely take my lunch because I need to. And I'm not going to sign up for that extra shift because you can still and you can still be there for people and you can signpost. I think that's really interesting. Kind of what we've all done tonight is actually a lot of it is we are then signposting people to say these are places where you can go and get help and support. So you don't have to take everyone's burden on yourself. But the difficulty we have is as nurses by nature, that is our personality type. Um, in fact, there's been a lot of research in it in the NHS that the reason that you get back pain and severe back pain and need surgery, nothing physical, it's all mental, it's all a personality type. Mm. That really is quite interesting. That is, it, yeah. uh, there's a blog brewing on it somewhere. Yeah, I bet, yeah. <laughs> Rachel? Okay, Aoife, the next question's for you. Oh. As you know, being a vet nurse can be full on. How can we make sure we are finding time for self-care? I simply struggle to fit it in. Yeah, I loved this question, actually, because um, I think the key word there is find time. Um, I would encourage you to make time instead. Um, you know, that kind of leads us into a spiral, I guess, because then all of a sudden you're saying to me, well, Eva, like, where is the time? So, yeah, make the time. Don't find the time. I feel like if we tell ourselves I can't find the time, that tells our mind that, like, something is lost or that we are lost. Whereas time is your own. And I think we forget that quite a lot, um, particularly in this industry. We forget that time is, is our own. Um, and in the beginning, if you're starting to schedule it in, that's the keyword, schedule. Um, so even if it means like doing out a physical timetable in your journal or something at the start of the week and putting in white space for yourself where you can do absolutely nothing um, or you can schedule your workouts in or you can, you know what I mean, your meditation and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, make time. Don't find it. It's yours. It belongs to you. So take it back. Yeah. So it's make yourself a priority. Yeah, 100 percent. And it's selfish. Yeah, it's, it's easier said than done, though. Like it fully is. You know, it's so easy for me to sit here and say make time. Like I'd say all of you are thinking, well, sorry, no, but my roster says otherwise. Mm. So it is, it's easier said than done. But if you flip, can flip that switch in your mind, like language really is everything. So if you can do that little flip for yourself, like at least it's the first step, you know. Great answer. Um, Ellie, this one's for you. Um, what ideas could you implement in a workplace to help keep a positive mental attitude among staff members? Yeah, so this is a really good one. Um, I know the past year hasn't been good for most of us, all of us maybe. Um, and definitely being in the profession at this time has been one of the hardest like times, I think, personally. Um, and something you could do is like creating like a little box, like a gratitude box. So if someone at work does something nice for you, um, say so-and-so helped me with a really difficult euthanasia or they helped me clean a kennel when I was really busy. Um, you could pop it on a piece of paper, put it in the box. And then at the end of the month, um, these cards can be drawn out. And the first one to be picked out could win, you know, a little prize like some chocolates um, or just something really little, really nice. And then the rest could be re read out as well so that everyone knows that they've been appreciated in some way or another. Or if not a box, you could have like sticky notes on a board. Um, so you could just write on, you know, 
a gratitude of someone just to show how much you appreciate what they've done for you. And it just helps boost morale a little bit. Um, and then just putting like positive quotes up around the community areas so everyone can see and try and boost the spirit of what we can. <laughs> no, that's, a lovely, that's a lovely answer. <laughs> okay, Zara, I have another question for you. Was there ever a point in your career that you felt like you weren't good enough and felt like leaving the profession altogether? Definitely. <laughs> I think if anyone says that they don't, then I think they're pretending because every profession has its ups and downs. Mine was about 16 years ago when I just started training. So I was just about to do my exams in London. So back in the olden days. Um, and I got told by a vet that I would never qualify and I would be a rubbish nurse. So this obviously sunk into me, affected me for my exams, but I did still pass. I wanted to walk away. Um, so basically, technically, when I look back now, I was being bullied. Um, lucky enough, I left that profession, that first opinion company, and I went straight into referral work, which it all changed. Um, but this made me want to push even more in my career. And now when I look back, I'm basically 15 years down now, 12 years in referral, clinical coach, got one certificate, just about to do another nursing certificate on top of that. I train student nurses, I train interns, I train um, final year vet students. I even train new nurses that are coming into the industry. The reason why they come to me is because I don't make them look stupid. And my view is don't ever stop learning because someone wants you to stop learning. Always push for what you want out of life and aim for it. Amazing answer. Great answer. Um, we're kind of pressed for time because so I'm going to ask you all, I've got, you've all got 30 seconds now um, to answer the last question, um, which is Rachel. Uh, for everyone, what is the magic of veterinary nursing for you? So we'll kick off. Zara, you've got 30 seconds. Magic of veterinary nursing for me is training the future RBMs. Adam. Um, back well, in the day, I know you've diversified. Back in the day, I was going to say, um, it was it was generally just a, a really nice job when the sort of client said thank you and stuff. I think that goes a long way, just that interaction as well. I think that's really nice. Yeah, sorry for putting you on the spot. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jane. Oh, God, I'm going to be sad and soppy and just say it's love. I'm seeing clients go out with their animals and that you've kept a partnership together is the nicest feeling in the world. Lovely. Um, Ellie? Um, it's empowering vet nurses to find their niche, what they love doing, um, support and training, and just being a lovely community to each other. And finally, Aoife? Um, connecting with the beautiful qualities within yourself and offering them to an animal who needs help. Uh, that's wonderful. I think right there sums up the magic of veterinary nursing. Um, okay, well, thanks ever so much for that. That was great, guys. Really enjoyed that. What do you think, Rachel? Amazing. Some wonderful tips there as well for people, I think. That was great, guys. So that really all this leaves us to do now is to thank Adam, Efi, Ellie, Zara and Jane. And of course, the lovely Katie Ford, who helps us with all our tech stuff and much more. Um, but the biggest thank you goes to you guys, the delegates, for your questions, for your energy, for your input, 
for just being here. It, it really is all about you. You make this event um, and we'll obviously be back, but I'd like you to share anything on hashtag VN happy hour. Get in touch with us to uh, happy hour at vbd.co.uk because we want ideas for future discussions, things we can do on here. Um, guests we can invite on here you know it really is your event so just let us know and we'll try and make that happen so uh, it's good night for me and good night from Rachel good night thank you bye bye